Open with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, famous passage of scripture, well known, and we're going to talk about faith, faith that moves mountains. And I'm going to let the guiding passage be uh, for this whole series, Mark 11:23. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So we have the faith that can move mountains according to Jesus. So we want to talk about it over the next few weeks, okay? So open with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and going to begin with verse 1 here. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm reading New King James. How many of y'all out there reading New King James, Matt. We got it on the screen. How about we all read it together this morning together? Come on, let's go. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want to, let me read the next couple verses. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So I want to set the context and then I want to set definitions. So first of all, to the context of what's happening in this passage, and then let's look at definitions as to what faith is. Okay. So first of all, the context. If you look at the context of this passage, there's something going on here with trials and testing. If you look back in the last chapter, chapter 10 and verse 32, he says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated... You endured a great struggle with sufferings. And that word illuminated is the same term used in that difficult, sticky passage of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 6 where once you have been illuminated or enlightened, you cannot uh, come back to repentance. It, it's, it's a very difficult passage, but we're going to save that for later. But, after, but recall the, form, the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. So he's reminding them of a time of great suffering and trial they had. And he says in verse 33, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulation and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Then he quotes the Old Testament here. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but anyone who draws back my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about a former trial that this group of believers had gone through. Now, we understand that they were Jews, Hebrews. They were a Jewish community who had become Christian, hence the book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author is. Some have assumed it was Paul. He's talking about being in chains, which sounds very much like Paul. The theology of the book is very much like Paul. But if you look into the original Greek, it's not like Paul. 
as I was studying Greek years ago, we went through various books of the New Testament. Then when we got to Hebrews, I'm like, whoa, what is this? It was like we were reading ancient uh, Attic Hebrew almost, so, or Attic Greek almost. So I was like, wow. So I, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. It's left out there to speculation. But nonetheless, he's writing to them, encouraging them because of trials they have been through. Now, F.F. Bruce, one of my favorite scholars who's now passed away, who's a British scholar, said if you look at this book, he believes it was written prior to 60 A.D. and written to a community in Rome who were Jewish Christian believers in Rome. And he said, you know, it probably was referring to a, a persecution of the church that happened under Emperor Claudius. And I think it's interesting that according to the Roman historian Suetonius, or Suetonius, he said that Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome because they were, quote, constantly indulging in riots at the instigation of Crestus. And Crestus is a variation of Christ. And this is one of the evidences that Christ was an actual historical figure outside the New Testament by the Roman historian Suetonius. So, interesting that Bruce believes it was this persecution of the church that happened, and then they were expelled from Rome. And he says later, you know, or in other parts of the New Testament, we encounter this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who settled in Corinth, and Paul became an acquaintance of them because they had been run out, basically, of, of Rome through persecution. Okay? So, at any rate, the readers had endured a hard struggle. They had endured tribulation. They had endured hard struggles with sufferings, he said. So at the end of chapter 10, we could just turn the page and go straight to chapter 12 and just say, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He could have just gone directly to that after talking about the tribulation and suffering they had been through, but he doesn't do that. He inserts this, um, it's like an excursus. He goes and inserts this other teaching about famous people in Jewish history who had endured. Famous people in Jewish history who had been victorious. Famous people in Jewish history who had overcome by faith. Amen? Amen? And so we have, as some have called it, the great hall of faith that's represented in Hebrews 11 as an encouragement to those who are walking through trials. Because these become what the Bible calls the great cloud of witnesses. That the great cloud of witnesses are saints of old who have shown their sainthood through their faith and through their strong belief and endurance and then we can look now at this great catalog of heroes in our past and know that they're cheering us on. Maybe leaning over the banister of heaven, figuratively. Cheering us on that we can make it. Come on, look at somebody next to you and tell them, you can make it. You're going to, let's, just, let's, let's, let's amp up our language a little bit. Look at them and say, you are going to make it. You're going to make it. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. Well, maybe we don't know what you're going through, but I'm telling you, there's some people here going through some stuff too. Amen. And I'm not 
downplaying what you're walking through, but I'm telling you, there's some biblical heroes of ours who walked through some stuff that we'll never walk through. Amen? And they made it. And what caused them to make it? What caused them to endure? What caused them to succeed? Faith caused them to succeed. Their faith in the Lord. Now, we talk about the faith, and we talk about faith, and we talk about the faith, we're talking about the whole composite belief of Christianity, what we hold to as the faith. If you look into the ancient fathers in the first two, three, four centuries of the church, they held on to the faith. They held on to the faith. It was even known as the rule of faith. It became uh, codified, so to speak, as the Apostles' Creed, later in 325 A.D. as the Nicene Creed, or later on in the 400s as the Constantinopolitan Creed, and then later in the, even the uh, early uh, other councils of the church, and then later in the medieval ages, later in the Protestant Reformation, in the statements of faith. We have a statement of faith in our church. We hang on to the faith, the faith. But faith without an article is what we're talking about this morning as a powerful principle that works in our lives that causes us to overcome and endure. Can somebody shout amen? So let's break down now the definition of faith and let's see where this takes us. First of all, he says faith is the substance. New King James or King James tradition. Faith is the substance. Faith is an assurance. Faith is an assurance. The term substance here means a standing under. It means a standing under, like standing under a canopy. Now what in the world we're we talking about? It means the steadfastness of mind, firmness, courage, resolution, real being, or confidence, standing under the reality of the confidence we have in him. Now, uh, to, there's a famous Greek work by Moulton and Milligan, a Greek lexicon and Greek, uh, uh, Greek textual work, and they defined it like this years ago, that faith is the title deed of things hoped for. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for. And therefore, the substance is a standing under the title deed. Is everybody with me at 9.43 a.m.? <laughs> Faith is the title deed of things hoped for. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In other words, it's the first fruits, like Paul talked about the Holy Spirit, or the earnest. It's what we get now in anticipation of the full coming in the future. Faith is the title deed, so let's talk about it. If um, I, I own a vehicle, we drove in it this morning. It is made by Ford, bless his holy name. Amen. It's my fourth Ford I've had in a row. Don't hate me. But there was a great F-150 factory in Norfolk for many years, and I've pastored some of those employees. Can somebody shout amen? amen. But I have a title deed to that vehicle. It's in my name and it's mine. If I, God forbid, I wake up one morning and it's not in the parking space, and somebody has taken off with that, I can go claim it back through law enforcement, 
even though I can't see it because I hold the deed to it. I have the reality of it in my possession even though I wouldn't be able to see it. What is faith? Faith is the reality that you have something that you cannot see. In the natural, we have things by uh, seeing them physically. I hold a bottle of water in my hand because I see it physically. This is in the natural. But we're talking about the supernatural realm. In the supernatural, I hold things that I can't see, and I hold on to them, and I obtain them by grace or by faith. Can somebody shout amen? amen. Hallelujah. It's an established conviction. It's an assurance. It's an established conviction of the unseen bringing it into the realm of reality. Let me walk through it again. It's an established conviction of the unseen bringing it into the realm of reality. I know it's going to happen. I know it's true. I know it's real. I know Jesus is real. I know I've never seen Him in the flesh. I'm going to see Him one day. I've never seen Him, but I know He's real. Why? Because my faith is attached to Him. And I've experienced Him right in the here and now in a supernatural manner. And it has come into my life and affected my physical life. I know He's real. I know the Bible is true. Why? Because my faith is attached to it and I've practiced its principles and I found out that it's true in this life. I know heaven is real. Why? Because I accept it by faith. I know hell is real. Why? I accept it by the faith of God's Word. I know there's a coming kingdom in the future because I accept it by faith. Hallelujah. I know my family's going to be saved. Why? Because I accept it by faith. I know God's going to heal the sick when we lay hands on them. Why? Because I accept it by faith. I know God's going to open doors for me in the future that I need to walk through and shut doors that I don't need to walk through. Why? Because it's in the realm of faith. It's things I haven't seen yet. but I've already got the title deed to them and I stand under the authority of the title deed I have. Come on somebody, hallelujah. And assurance is a surety. You can be sure that you possess it. Now the next phrase is interesting. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. It is the evidence. So evidence really refers to the proof. Faith not only is an assurance, faith is proof. Faith is proof. It's a conviction. It's a conviction. So if physical sight produces conviction or evidence of things in the physical realm, then faith is the means which establishes one or enables one to see in the invisible realm. So if Sight gives me the evidence in the physical realm. Faith gives me evidence in the spiritual realm. Let me roll through it. Uno mas. If sight gives me evidence in the physical realm, my faith gives me evidence in the spiritual realm. So when you're out there encountering people who are skeptics and they're going on with all of their stuff, You know, you can be secured in your faith because it's in your heart. You've experienced it. You already have it. You have the proof of it in your heart. Amen? You know, how many know God's real because he lives in your heart? 
You've already experienced him by faith. Faith is, come on, say it with me. Faith is the assurance. And faith is the proof. Then the writer goes on and he says this. Very interesting. He says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And we're getting ready to read the story of these elders. But then in verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed. And I love the King James tradition here. Because the term framed means to arrange or set in order. The worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. What he's talking about here with the word, some think maybe it's the the logos word that's mentioned in John chapter 1 and John's prologue that through the agency of the Son, the worlds were created. That's not what he's talking about here. The word used here is rhema. It's by the spoken word. The author is saying by the spoken word, everything was created that we see. And he's saying, if that is the case, then this is how faith works. Oh, hallelujah. Let me back up the bus and roll through that again. If God spoke a word and said, let there be light, and light appeared, then he's telling us something about how faith works. Because there were no seen things to operate from. There was no material to operate from. There was no, no, God had nothing out there. He created time, space, and matter through His words. He created time, space, and matter through His words. And He's couched this here within the context of faith and teaching us faith because that's how faith works. We start declaring things. I believe in Jesus. I believe in prayer. I believe in a heaven. I believe. We start saying these things by faith. We start speaking them out. And for a person who doesn't walk in faith, you sound kind of crazy. Hello? But, but by words, God framed, arranged, and put in order the earth realm. Now, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that you and I, we aren't God, all right? Newsflash. But we are made in the image of God. And as the ancients believe, we're approaching the likeness of God. And because of that, God has given us the ability to walk in faith, And walk in the same authority that He's given us to where we speak words and they take on power and authority. That's why we need to watch our words. Because your words have power and authority to them. And when you're speaking negatively or you're cursing or you're... it It has an effect. It has an effect on you and it has an effect on things and people around you, on your family, on your kids, on your marriage. It has an effect, the words you speak. However, in the opposite, if we speak words of faith and if we speak the Word of God, it has an effect as well for the positive on our lives, on our person, on our relationship, on our kids, on our environment, on our household. When we speak the words of faith, we start, in a sense... In a sense, framing our own world. We start, in a sense, framing our own context by what we speak and how we work. 
Okay, so I told this story. I'm going to tell it again. I have a friend in Norfolk named Courtney McBath. And Courtney pastors a powerful church. And I have another friend named Kent Christmas. And Kent used to preach for Courtney when he had, he said, maybe 40 people, 60 people at the Boys Club of Norfolk. And Kent said we would ride around Tidewater together back in those days. And Courtney would say, I'm telling you, when we get to 2,000, here's what I'm seeing building. And we get to 5,000, this is what I see we're going to do. And Kent said I would be like, this guy has 60 people. But he said he could see it. He could just see it. And he started speaking out of what he could see. God has given us the ability to imagine. Now, imagination in a fallen evil sense is absolutely powerful and horrific. People can imagine the worst things on, that, that, that the mind can, can possibly go into. And we've seen a lot of that happen in the 20th century and 21st century. How to kill millions of people, how to exploit people. I mean, we've seen the most horrific things through the imagination of humanity in a darkened evil sense. Well, in the opposite way, God has given us the imagination to be a sanctified holy thing that we can dream up great inventions and great buildings and great projects and great outreaches and great things in society. And there's revolutionary breakthroughs that some of, some of you may come up with because of a sanctified imagination. And then we can frame the world according to that by the words that we speak out of that. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. So he goes down and he starts listing people now who had great faith. The first one he talks about is Abel. And he says, by faith, verse 4, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and, though, though it, uh, and through it he being dead still speaks. Now, we've looked at Cain's sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice. If you go back to Genesis chapter 4, you read that Cain brought the fruit of the ground. And then Abel brought a, an offering from his flock because he was a shepherd. And I've, I've never understood this completely. I've, uh, you know, some have speculated that maybe Abel's sacrifice was accepted because it was a blood sacrifice. Or maybe Cain's wasn't accepted because it was the fruit of the curse, the fruit of the ground. But actually, if you look at Scripture, here's what I think is going on. I think Cain's sacrifice, there was nothing wrong with it. He was bringing out of what he did in life. And Abel's, there was nothing wrong with it, obviously, because he was bringing a sacrifice from what he did in life. The difference was their hearts. If you read the Scriptures, it says that Cain's heart was darkened. And that God warned him, if you don't get this right, sin is crouching at your door. However, Abel's heart was pure. And Abel's heart was right before God. And so I really believe the simplest biblical answer to this is one's heart was right with God, one's heart wasn't right with God. And Abel shows up in the hall of faith here because he was a righteous man. And maybe you've never connected these, these two together before, but a righteous man will walk by faith. And a faith man will walk in righteousness. A righteous man will walk by faith 
and a faith man will walk in righteousness. Because by faith, Abraham, it was accounted to Abraham as righteousness. He became a righteous man through faith. This is how you become righteous. You have faith in God. You press into His presence. He in turn sanctifies you and makes you righteous and sets you apart, erases the sin debt from your life and credits it to your bank account as righteousness. So the righteous person is a person of faith. The righteous person is a person of faith. Often we don't connect faith and holiness together, but I'm doing it right now. That faith is the way you are made holy. Faith is the way you are sanctified. Faith is the way you are justified. Faith is the way you are made righteous. And let's just go ahead and throw every, the whole kitchen sink in. Faith is the way you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Faith is the way you're healed. Faith is the way you give by faith offerings, trusting God as a source in your life. Faith is the way we raise our children. Faith is the way we approach our professions. Faith is the way we approach God in prayer. Faith is the way we live our lives. We live according to faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. Wow. Somebody shout wow. (laughs) So let's dig down in this a little bit further. Abel was a righteous man. The next guy in the hall of faith is Enoch, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had the testimony that he pleased God. So Enoch is another example of a guy who was a faith man. What's his story? We're only given a, a few words about his whole life. But it says that, He walked with God and was not in the book of Genesis. Meaning that he walked with God and one day he just left the natural realm and went on home to be with the Lord. Now there's some apocryphal works in the book of wisdom and there's other what we would call Second Temple Judaism, a Second Temple literature, a Jewish literature about Enoch. And you know, none of this we take as scripture, but let me just throw some of it out. Some of it says that Enoch was a man who had great revelation and great and deep understanding. And that he was, some of the Jewish belief of it was that he was so righteous that God took him home from being tainted by the world. That I just throw it out as apocryphal literature there. But for some reason, he's listed here as a man of faith because he pleased God. Faith pleases the Lord. Skepticism does not please the Lord. Doesn't mean you can't question and, and, and have normal discernment. But skeptics are not those who are going to walk in the favor of God. People of faith are going to walk in the favor of God. I want to walk in the favor of God. I want to be a man of faith who pleases God. And then he drops this bomb on us in the next verse. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. 
You can't please God. Yeah, but I, I give and I do works and I do this and blah, blah, blah. It, okay, great, but that's not what really pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord is if you are doing those things out of a heart of faith. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So faith causes us to approach the throne of grace boldly. Faith causes us to approach God in prayer. Faith causes us to offer up prayers to God. Faith causes us to press into His presence. And faith causes us to please God and receive as we diligently seek His face. Amen. Amen. Preach on, Brother Hans. Two more guys. Number one, Noah. He mentions Noah in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, preparing an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Here we see a different aspect of faith operating in Noah's life as opposed to Abel and Enoch. Abel and Enoch pleased God. That's how their faith was manifested. Noah pleased God also, but he responded to a word the Lord had given him. Noah responded to a divine revelation God had given him. God spoke, Noah did it. God spoke and Noah did it. Genesis chapter 6 verse 22 says, Noah did all that God commanded him. Wouldn't that be a great statement of our lives if we finished the race and, it, and, and the heavens could say, Hans did all that God commanded of him. Yeah. Hallelujah. Wouldn't you like that testimony in the end? I did it, Lord. I did everything you said do, and I did it quickly, and I did it strong. Hallelujah. I want to be quick to respond, and I want to be strong in responding to what God says. Noah did all that God commanded him. So what did he do? God spoke to him a word. Hey, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Flood's coming. I want you to save your household. You're the only one. What's rain? It's never rained before. What's a flood? We've never experienced a flood before. No, it's getting ready to rain, and it's getting ready to flood. And he says, yes, sir. And he starts building an ark. And, and we know from the New Testament that he was a preacher of righteousness. So we're, we're assuming because he was a preacher of righteousness that he was standing against an entire culture, 100% except he and his family, who were evil, not serving the Lord. 100%. And so he's doing this in the face probably of ridicule and doubt and skepticism. But you know what? He's still obeying the Lord. He's still doing what God has spoken to him to do. Why? Because he's a faith man. If he was operating on scientific knowledge, he would not have built an ark. If he was operating on historical knowledge, he would have not built an ark but he's operating on a divine revelation that God has given him. All great men and women of God that I have ever worked with 
or ever mentored under or ever had the privilege to sit under. They were known by obeying God's voice and being bold and strong and daring and courageous in doing it. Just a week or so ago, Pat Robertson passed away, who was from Virginia Beach, as y'all know, founded CBN, Regent University. I'm a product of Regent University. Many of y'all, some of y'all are worked for, employees, retired from CBN. And so uh, we honored his life. And when I got home, Dane and I sat down and, and watched the replay of the memorial service they did for him. And we thought it was great and really it touched our lives. But what was mentioned, and it was mentioned by Kenneth Copeland, who spoke over him that how he was a man of faith and boldly went after what God had spoken to him. That's what distinguished him, was that he went boldly, if the public liked it or the public didn't like it. He went boldly after what God had spoken to him. I remember touring Oral Roberts University a few years ago with an Old Testament professor who works there who's a friend of mine. And we were touring, and he said, I'd like to take you upstairs into the office suite that used to be Oral Roberts' office suite. And I thought, man, I'd love that. So we went, we went up this elevator and came out, and we, we went around the, the office suite where the president of the university has his offices. And, uh, and there was a big picture on the wall as big as this screen here. There was a picture on the wall of Oral Roberts and a bunch of, I think, businessmen in Tulsa as they were breaking ground on, on some building at Oral Roberts University. And I thought, I, I watched the re reaction of my friend, because my friend's very intellectual, he's a Hebrew scholar, and uh, he went to a, a state university, a great state university in America, and he's, he was an award-winning professor. So I thought, I'm wondering what this guy thinks. And he looked at that picture, and he said, you know what? I miss that guy. He said he was a wild charismatic who did anything and everything God spoke to him. Amen. And I thought, amen. Amen. My friend Elias Malky, who I worked under and served under, Elias Malky was basically run out of Lebanon as a missionary after being a missionary for 20 years in the nation of Lebanon. He was Lebanese by birth. But when he left, he wouldn't stop. He just wouldn't stop. He went to the island of Cyprus and he began broadcasting by radio all into all of the Middle East. Then he and Pat Robertson connected and they built the Middle Eastern Gospel Television Station out of uh, Tel Aviv, Israel and started preaching the gospel into every major capital city in the Muslim world. He had a vision. He was going to do what God called him to do no matter if you liked it or not. You could get on board or get out. I think about H. Richard Hall that, was, that, that I came up under. And uh, he, I was first ordained under him in the early 90s. And Brother Hall went in a cave one time because he was dying. He went in a cave and he told his wife, if I don't return, I will have died. If I come back, I'll be healed. And he went in a cave and he said the Lord visited him in the cave and touched him and healed his body. And he would still have people come up and say, fill my side. And there was a place still left in him where he said the Lord had touched him and healed him. And God spoke to him. And God said, go to all people. Go to all people and ordain people. And so he came out of that cave and went to all people holding amazing miracle healing rallies. I'm going to preach in a few days for their camp meeting that's still going on. And even though he's gone when he died, there was something like 30,000 ordained ministers through his ministry because he stepped out, a country boy from western North Carolina 
from Canton, North Carolina, stepped out and didn't have shoes to wear. He went in one of the first meetings with A.J. Tomlinson, the head of the Church of God, and he walked in and he was embarrassed because he didn't have shoes. And Brother Tomlinson called him to the platform to sit with the other preachers. Man stepped out on a word that God had given him. And, and that's, those are the men who belong in the hall of faith. So don't worry about it. If God's spoken to you to do something, the best encouragement I can give you is do it and do it strong and do it bold and do it quickly. Do everything. That's what distinguishes the people of faith. We do what God says do. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Do what God says do. You want to talk to a family member? Pray and get the mind of God on it. And then do what God says do. You want to start a business? Pray and get the mind of God on it. Then do what God says do. One more. Can you all handle one more? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance. So Abraham, like Noah, received a divine revelation from God. God spoke to him. Here's the rhema word working. The rhema, the spoken word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus taught us how to live. It's by every word that God speaks. And so what did Abraham do? He received a revelation from God. He went out of the place that he was living, and he didn't know where he was going, and he didn't know how he was going to get there. Well, he's going to walk. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So he walked out on nothing but a word. He left the Ur of the Chaldeans on nothing but a word. He comes to Haran and his dad dies and he keeps going on nothing but a word. Why did he please God? Because he walked out and did what God said on nothing but a word. And I don't know, you know, we, we talk, we get so, so strung out on, on sovereignty sometimes. No, God just sovereignly chose him. He was the man no matter what he did. No, I don't believe that. I believe he had to obey God. I believe if he wouldn't have gone out and obeyed God, God had chosen somebody else. He was the man who God spoke to who obeyed. Catherine Kuhlman used to say she was God's fourth or fifth choice. I want to do, I don't want God to pass me over, pass me not. I don't want him to pass me over and go choose somebody else because I won't obey. I want to obey and do what he says do. Well, somebody shout hallelujah. So what did he do? He goes out on just a word. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Abram, saying, get out of your own country and out of your kindred to a place that I'm going to show you and I'll make your name great and I'll make of you a great people and I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the beginning of the Jewish nation with that one man. Out of the Jewish nation came Jesus Christ, the Savior of the whole planet. Hallelujah. Out of that one man's obedience, he opened the door by faith and walked into 
all the plan of God that com- comp- compromises this whole or is composed in this whole Bible. It's all the plan of God from the plan of speaking to Abram all the way to the end of Jesus welcoming, welcoming us in the end of Revelation chapter 22 to the streams of water that for the healing of the nations in the new Jerusalem. It's that all the way in it because of a man's obedience and his walk of faith to respond to the words that God gave him. Can someone shout hallelujah? Come on, let's dig down a little bit further here. By faith, he dwelt in a land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a son. When she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sands which are by the seashore. By faith, she received the promise of God and had a baby at 90 years old. Some of y'all are not receiving that word right now. And Abram was 100. Wow. They received the word of God and it had to come by faith and miracle. Because faith is what when you latch on to a word and wait for the manifestation, miracles come by faith. Come on, say faith is an assurance. Faith is the proof. She didn't need any other proof. God said she's going to have a son. That's all. That's it. Done. That's all the proof we need. You don't need to send out the research council. You don't need to send out anybody else. It's done. God spoke it. It's done. God spoke it, it's done. God spoke it, it's done. This is why we value the prophetic ministry so much. Now, we're supposed to judge prophetic ministry in the New Testament. But I'm telling you, God still speaks today. He doesn't write Scripture anymore. There's nothing on the level of the authority of Scripture. But God still speaks today. He speaks by the inward witness in our heart. He speaks through spiritual gifts. He speaks through prophetic word. Hallelujah. He speaks through dreams and visions. He still speaks today, and we have to judge those things and submit them to the standard of the Word of God and, judge, and, and submit them to other people who are spiritual in our lives. But I'm telling you, when you receive a word and it confirms in your spirit and you know God's speaking, hang on to that thing. Hang on to that thing. Paul told Timothy, he said, stir up the gift that's in you that was given by the elders by the laying on of hands in the presbytery. And do warfare through the words that were spoken over your life. Meaning when you get in a tough spot, when you get in a discouraged spot, start reminding the Lord of the words that He has spoken that you received by faith. And say, God, no, I believe it. I believe you're going to do it. You spoke it into my life. It was said on 1986 and January the 5th that you said you're going to do this and I'm hanging on to that word. I believe it's a word from the Lord. And start doing warfare. People say, no, don't get your hopes up too much. I'm tired of that kind of weak, anemic faith. 
No, God doesn't heal everybody. Don't get your hopes up. I'm tired of your weak, anemic faith. I want to be in the camp of the believing. I want to be in the camp of the faithful. I want to be in the camp of those who are trusting God for everything, who's saying, Lord, you speak, I will obey. You say go, I'm going to go. You say jump, I say how high. I'm going to go. I'm going to be a man of faith. I want it said of me, Hans did all that the Lord commanded him to do. Somebody give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. I know I've preached a long time, but it's good. Turn with me one more verse I want to show you in 1 John. The book of 1 John, chapter 5. If I can find it. 1 John, chapter 5. I want to show you something that just, just is uh, so super cool. 1 John, chapter 5. Let's look at verse 1. Bible says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him and uh, him, loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love, we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It's our belief. It's our trust. It's our assurance. It's the reality of grabbing what God has spoken to us. That is what enables us to overcome the current fallen system of the world. We rise above it through our belief and through our faith. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, Paul said something in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I talked to the men about it yesterday. We had a, almost 80 men there, or right at 80 men at a breakfast yesterday. It was just absolutely marvelous. But anyhow, I told him, I said, you know, at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, gifts shall cease, knowledge shall cease, tongue shall cease at the coming of the Lord. But he said, these three will remain. They'll be always with us, faith, hope, and love. We're going to have faith's going to walk with us right into eternity. Just like love. Love walks with you. Love never ends. Love is with us forever. Faith's going to walk with us. Hope's going to be with us. Hope's going to be with us. And we realize we attach our hopes, we attach our faith, we attach it to God's Word, and that's how we overcome this present world. For those of you who've, and I mentioned yesterday, those of you who've lost loved ones, I don't know how you walk through that without a, a strong relationship with Jesus. Because when you leave the graveside, your heart's ripped out and you're in the, the, the depths of grief, but you can look to the Word and say, yet I know there's a resurrection coming. And I have faith and I'm attaching my faith to the Word of God, and I know that there's a better future for us all. When we see the current state of the world, and we see the horrific abuses, it doesn't mean we shouldn't get involved. No, we're commanded by faith to get involved and to make a difference. But we also are given the Word that God's going to come. 
and set up his kingdom and rectify everything and weigh everything out in the scales of righteousness and everything's going to be right. We attach our faith to it. Amen? These are the things that help us rise above the CNN reports, the Fox News report. These are the things that help us see above. No, God's got us. God's got us. Amen? God's got us in His care. God's got us. I'm a faith man. I'm a faith. You're a faith woman. We're going we're gonna to make it. Come on, look at another neighbor. Tell him, you're going to make it. Because he told us, he said, you shall reap in due season if you faint not. The only qualification is don't faint. Don't give up. Don't tap out. Keep in the fight and you're going to be rewarded. In, in the kairos, in the due season, you're going to be rewarded. Can somebody shout amen? amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, let's stand. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracles, signs, and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.